a British TV podcast with Chrissy and Ryan. News, reviews, what's on TV this week, DVD releases, and special features all about British TV. Hello and welcome to the British TV podcast, show number 87. I'm Ryan in Seattle. I'm Dana in Nashville. Hi, welcome back, Dana. Hi, glad to be back. It's been a while. You sent Chrissy to San Francisco. Well, of course, she sent herself there, but she'll be back next week. Well, this week's show, we have reviews, news, what's on British TV this week, shows running in the United States, DVD releases, a discussion that asks, do we need BBC America, and listener feedback. So, Dana, you were recently in Britain. Yep, it's hard to believe it's been a month. You were there during the royal wedding, right? Yeah, which is kind of funny. The immediate reaction I get from anyone when I say that is, you were at the wedding? (laughs) (laughs) No. I follow a guy on Twitter, Ian Wiley, though. He got in. Oh. He's a journalist, and he was gloating about it on Twitter. He was showing everybody where he was sitting and everything. Well, the cool thing was I went and actually saw the Abbey the, the last day it was open before they closed down to put all the trees in and stuff for the wedding. When I was touring, I sat down next to the altar in one of the, uh, one of the chairs. And then when I saw it on TV later, that was exactly where the queen's seat was. Mm. So I literally sat where the queen sat. I'm sure the chair was a little different, but, you know. And there was a few days between, but still, it's kind of neat. Where were you during the actual ceremony? Thanks to the wonderful Anglotopia.net, which Gara will plug in there. We were doing live blogging outside of, uh, they call it the mall, I believe. Yeah, the mall. The mall. I never get the pronounce, get that right, and it kind of makes Brits a little bit mad when I don't. <laughs> so, anyway, um, I managed to get. I got on the train about 5 a.m., managed to get like a, on a little bee patch of space on a statue with a bunch of people from South Africa and Australia and all the Commonwealth uh, different places. Basically sat there and attempted to live tweet using a wonderful, Fumigo is um, a wonderful company. If you ever go over there, I had a hot spot that you worked with my iPod and I was able to basically keep up with everything I needed while I was over there using that. And so I was trying, I did a little bit of video, a few pictures and things, but it was so crowded and everything that when the cars went by, the only person I could really tell who was who was the queen because she was in bright yellow with that hat and the profile, you always know who the queen is. You see her on all those stamps. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, it looks just like her. So, shocking <laughs> me. But when Kate went by, she, of course, she was sitting on the other side of the car for me. You know, that. so I didn't get to see the dress then or anything. But it was very cool because the household guard marched by and then set up their band pretty much right in front of the statue where I was. 
and they performed a bit in between cars. And the best part about it was actually just spirit of it was incredible. All these people, and I would say probably 80% of them were not actually English. They were from other Commonwealth <laughs> countries or whatever, but we were all British for the day. Ah. I only saw a couple of non-Union Jack flags. Everybody was waving their flags, most of them with Wills and Kate's pictures, and just such real happiness with the British sense of humor to it. Like, the big news going through the crowd was that uh, Beckham had arrived at the Abbey and was wearing his OBE on the wrong side and things like that, so... It was a lot of fun. Then as soon as it was all over, I got back on the train, went back to the house I was staying at and watched it properly. Just the whole be- thing of being in London, this was my first time over there. Oh, and first time. Okay. Yes, it was. And everybody was kind of shocked by that because people online have thought I was British for years because that's... <laughs> That's all I, you know, I talk about the TV and stuff so much. It's rare when you go someplace and it lives up to what you think it's going to be. Oh. I mean, it really was a wonderful city and I had the best time just spending the week taking the tube everywhere and just hanging out and not even doing something. The best experience of the whole thing was the last night I was there going to the SOG Cancer Benefit, which had a whole bunch of British comics and one that was kind of a surprise routine with Stephen Merchant. Oh. Yeah, so I can now say, because I saw Ricky Gervais. You saw him um, live in Chicago, right? Yeah, I saw him in Chicago, so I've now seen both Gervais and Merchant on stage. Now, Carl Pilkington just needs to go on the road, and I'll have a trifecta. He's going to be on The Simpsons, apparently. That's the perfect place for him. (laughs) He's made for that show. Really, I would love to see him do a stand-up, because it would be an hour of moaning. It would be hilarious. Stephen Merchant is, I hate to say it, he's much funnier than Ricky Gervais on stage. Oh, really? I know that's hard to believe. Yeah, but he was. He was really awesome. One of his things was that he's now been inspired by the royal wedding to find a wife. And <laughs> having a hard time doing it. And he asked if anybody in the audience wanted to be his wife. And I was in that cotton that he's, you know, I'm not going to raise my hand. (laughs) But the thing is that if you know, pass this along to Stephen Merchant, somebody, it's like he said, you know, women should want to marry me because of my BAFTA and my money. And I'm like, no, that's not it. I would, you know, it's because you're funny and you have a British passport. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's Maybe he's focusing on the wrong things. (laughs) There were a bunch of acts on there that night, and you would see a lot of, recognize a lot of them from TV. 
Mitchell and Webb were the headliners. Mm. The title of the whole thing actually came from uh, one of their sketches in their last series of uh, the Mitchell and Webb look. They did four different sketches. In the last one, Miranda Hart and Dermot O'Leary came out and did guest appearances. Mm. Like, completely shocking everyone. And then the gist of it is that I got to go to an after party afterward and I actually met Mitchell and Webb and had a real conversation with Miranda Hart. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. You've got your list of 10 people you would like to have a conversation with. Get three of them in one night. If Stephen Fry had been there, I, I'm afraid the plane would have crashed or something. <laughs> 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 So, and I'll talk a little bit more about what me and Miranda talked about later in the program. Well, stay tuned, everybody. Well, let's see, reviews, case histories. Jason Isaacs, usually cast as the villain in movies like The Patriot and Harry Potter, gets to be the good guy for a change in this detective series based on the books by Kate Atkinson. Set in a somewhat de-Scottified Edinburgh, Isaacs plays Jackson Brody, divorced with partial custody of his daughter, a former policeman who is now a private detective. Often his cases involve cheating wives or missing cats, but in the first story, cases just seem to fall into his lap, like two sisters whose sibling mysteriously vanished three decades earlier, and a businessman who wants to find his daughter's murderer. Isaacs really gets to turn on his charm. Most of the women in the series find him hot, and it doesn't hurt that he's often shown jogging around Edinburgh or taking his shirt off. It's implied in the backstory that Jackson left the police force under a cloud. He's not very popular with them or his ex-wife as he continually takes his daughter along to inappropriate situations during his cases. We also get glimpses of something that happened to him when he was a boy that no doubt pushes him to want to get to the bottom of things now. Certainly TV isn't hurting for detective shows at the moment, but with enough humor and charm, Case Histories is a nice time passer. It's weird to see Jason Isaacs with dark hair. I'm so used to him being, you know, white-haired from the Harry Potter films. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how all those kids manage to break out of the mold. Daniel Radcliffe's uh, tearing up Broadway right now. and um, Well, he did the best job of it. He just went on Broadway and was naked for a while. And then after <laughs> that, you know, nobody thought of him as a little kid anymore, he, even after another movie or two. So... And Rupert Grint's done a lot of indie movies. I know he's done at least two with Julie Walters. Yeah. Emma Watson is going college right now still or something. Well, actually, I read something about her today. She's dropped out of Brown. She said she realized that she's just too famous to get the college experience at the moment, which oh, is kind of interesting. That's so, too bad. Yeah. I think she may go to NYU at some point. Hmm. I think she's got a movie or two in the works herself, so they'll they'll have great careers. They're young enough that, you know... And they have between, buckets of money. <laughs> yeah. They, <laughs> they could frankly do nothing else, and as long as they, you know, didn't develop bad cocaine habits and, what you know, mm. waste all of it, you know, they could be, they'd be, they're set for life anyway, but... It's amazing how well they cast that, considering how young the kids were. Yeah, you go back and look at uh, the Philosopher's Stone, and they're just like, oh my god, you forget how young Daniel Radcliffe was. Yeah, I mean, they were 
babies, but practically, and, <laughs> and yeah, and but and there's not a bad actor in the group of them. I mean, <laughs> look what happened, you know, Robert Pattinson. He quit the series, and you never heard of him again. No, of course, he's in the Twilight movies. <laughs> <laughs> Another review is uh, the miniseries Injustice began running this entire week on ITV1, starring James Purefoy as William Travers, a brilliant barrister who moved his family from London to darkest Suffolk because of a breakdown. Purefoy played Mark Antony in the series Rome, and he exudes a darkness here as a man who on the surface apparently has it all together, but is haunted by something in his past. In the first episode, we also see a parallel story involving an unsentimental detective played by Charlie Creed Miles investigating a murder at a remote farmhouse. Is there a connection to Travers? With scripts by Anthony Horowitz, who gave us the very entertaining Foils War, you can be sure that the various strands will collide before the conclusion. And unlike many of ITV's detective shows that just go on and on and on, at least Injustice will have a beginning, middle, and an end. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's good to see that, you know, when they actually know where a show is going to go. Because uh, on that network, they have so many long soap operas of shows. What, you mean the actual soaps or just the their, their dramas? Yeah, they're dramas. Yeah, they, they like to keep detective shows on running a long, long time. We've been talking about the fact that Taggart's finally coming to an end after... You know, 17 years after the lead actor died, and or they turned Morse into a franchise with Lewis and Frost. And and, and they're talking about bringing Morse back. Like, oh, yes, the young adventures of Morse. Yeah, we talked about that. <sighs> <laughs> anyway. Well, this week on Twitter, let's see, I managed to watch Doctor Who spoiler-free on Sunday morning. I was so glad I hadn't checked email, Facebook, or Twitter beforehand. My hashtag was like a virgin. <laughs> and I haven't seen it yet, but I'm. Yes, we're not going to be talking about uh, a good man goes to war here, so you can keep on listening yes. if you haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to spoil it, but of course, I can't stay away from spoilers. I already know what happens. But I still have to see it. Like my wife, we got into Game of Thrones, and she started getting on Wikipedia and reading all the plot twists. I'm like, what are you doing that for? <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, well, I just kind of assume that I'm going to get spoiled somehow anyway, so I might as well at least read the details of it. I suppose. I, I'm trying to see it the way that Moffat intended, but that's just me. Yeah, well, you're doing it the right way. You're doing it the pure way, the way that Moffat would want you to, because he hates spoilers. It's kind of obvious, so. Yes. Well, the show didn't used to be like this. Short of, you know, having a cliffhanger and you're like, how does Peter Davison get out of this one? And getting it spoiled. You know, there really was nothing to spoil. You know, this week, the Doctor goes up against the Cybermen. You know, well, you know, there's nothing really to know. But yeah, <laughs> the way the show is nowadays, there are all of these twisty and turn things and much different than in the past. Yeah, well, you can kind of thank um, Russell T. Davies for that. He brought the whole, everything was a cliffhanger with him and... And Moffat's just kind of, now that they've split the seasons up, now you get two cliffhangers. TV in general is much more serialized than it used to be. And I think, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Lost in particular have a lot to uh, do with that. That they realize, oh, audiences will actually stick with these things if we have all these ongoing plots rather than self-contained stories. Oh, yeah. The X-Files probably was one of the first really... 
Except they didn't do it very well, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, well, that that may be part of our later discussion, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> so they went on too long. Yes. They they did. kept theirs going way too long. Yeah. So and uh, also on Twitter, how does Psychoville get such great guest stars even in tiny parts? In episode five, it's Catherine Parkinson. Yeah, she was in like three minutes. I'm just like, wow, there's Catherine Parkinson. She should be in every show, like every show. She's just awesome. Like, <laughs> if only that were possible. It makes me so mad that Americans will probably now not see Watts because that show – uh, her and Alan Davies alone is worth that show getting at least two to three series made of it. Yeah, then, that was really unfortunate. Maybe it'll get a DVD release. Who knows? Yeah, I maybe, don't know. Maybe it'll turn up on PBS. Hard to say. It would be nice if it did end up somewhere. It got badly treated, unfortunately. So Alan Davis would concur with that. Yeah, he's pretty mad. I'd be interested in seeing his deal for future QIs with the way some of the things he said about it. He's not very happy. So, mm. well, you can find us on Twitter at Brit TV Podcast. Well, in the news this week, there was a Doctor Who season seven kerfuffle today. Oh, wow. The satirical magazine Private Eye, edited by Ian Hislop, got Doctor Who fans all hot and bothered on Tuesday when they said turmoil at the BBC would reduce the show to only four specials next year and that Matt Smith was heading to L.A. to look for work. Within hours, however, Stephen Moffat and Sam Hodges, the head of communications for BBC One, confirmed on Twitter that 14 episodes have been commissioned for season seven and that Matt Smith will definitely be playing the Doctor in them. Well, see, this is this is something they cook up every single time that they, and probably a lot of it is, you know, because Eccleston left so quickly. Every time they always say that the new dog, you know, that they're not going to be sticking around. And as far as I've heard, Matt has always been like, you know, I'll do some my own thing, you know, when we're not filming and. But I want to continue playing for as long as I can. If usually you see these kind of articles in the sun. I suspect uh, Ian Hislop approved this story merely to wind up Doctor Who fans after a story about the Daleks being rested was used on Have I Got News For You last week. Well, he's getting a lot of, uh, you know, the whole super injunction thing going on. I say that super injunction so you can use the, ha the hashtag now. Uh, and get five million people reading. Like, we covered that months ago. Yeah, well, he was he was the first one to like you know get that going really with Andrew with the Andrew Marr thing. I think he's now really using. Have I got news for you to drive a little traffic to Private Eye and back and forth and stuff. So yeah, and it's kind of working. Yeah, meanwhile, Sue Virtue, uh, Stephen's wife, tweeted, Can you all stop asking Stephen Moffat questions about Doctor Who? I'm waiting for my Sherlock script. Husband, right. I'm sure that was extremely effective. <laughs> Surely they know that's not what you say on Twitter to make anyone shut up. <laughs> so, <laughs> and threatening to have uh, River shoot everyone with her spoiler gun. Oh, yes, that was funny. You should definitely follow Stephen Moffat if you aren't. It's quite humorous. Yeah. 
Donald Hewlett passed away this week, age 90. He was a familiar face in many of the Croft Perry comedies of the 70s and 80s, including It Ain't Half Hot Mum, You Rang My Lord, Come Back Mrs. Noah, and appearances in many shows like The Avengers, The Saint, and Doctor Who. BBC4 is going to ditch showing dramas and comedies in favor of more arts-flavored programming, it was announced. This comes just weeks after BBC4 shows like The Road to Coronation Street and Getting On won BAFTAs against much better funded and more seen shows on other channels. But these shows won't be cancelled. They'll be moved to Terrestrial BBC2 in an attempt to beef up that channel's recent erosion in viewing figures. And BBC4 will be competing now more directly with Sky Arts 1 in the future. I kind of wonder if they've been doing that a little bit in advance anyway because they moved all of Charlie Brooker's stuff like last year to BBC Two. So I, I'm just glad because I, I'm, some of these really great shows have ended up on you know these digital channels. I think, well, they'd get great, much better ratings if they were on terrestrially. And it seems like in, back in the day they would have been on BBC Two. So Yeah, and getting on barely survived as it was, so maybe I'll have a much better chance of hanging on through the BBC cuts. Well, winning a BAFTA certainly didn't hurt. Yeah. Do you enjoy that show? Uh, yeah. It's yeah. a really good show. Yeah, Chrissy likes it a lot, too. Candy Cabs has not been renewed by the BBC. The recent series about women who start a minicab firm averaged 4.5 million viewers, but wasn't enough to avoid the chop. You might recall we reviewed this back in show 79, and Paul Kay was featured in the series. His usual scumbag roles. <laughs> the Sky Atlantic comedy This Is Ginzy, which had its pilot shown on BBC Three last year, will have a number of big-name guest stars appearing on the Surreal series when it debuts in September. These include David Tennant, Catherine Tate, Jane Horrocks, Simon Callow, Kevin Eldon, Peter Serafinowicz, and Nigel Planer. A lot of those names have a lot of, because Sky Atlantic seems to be aiming as being the U.S. channel on British TV. They've got a cope deal with HBO, so they get basically all the HBO shows. So a lot of those names, obviously, Tennant, Tate, Horrocks, they've all shown up quite a bit over here. It's a pretty odd program if you read the format. I don't think they're intending this show for export. I think it's just the people involved in the series. Uh, one of the, the directors is um, Matt Lipsy, who just finished uh, Psychoville. Mm-hmm. So I guess it just these guys wanted to all work together. HBO and the BBC will be co-producing Parades End, a drama about World War One that will star Benedict Cumberbatch and Rebecca Hall. Woo! The five-part miniseries is based on a series of novels from the 1920s and adapted by Tom Stoppard. Yes, this will be very good. Unfortunately, this means that uh, Cumberbatch will not be doing Anna Karenna. Oh, I hadn't heard about that. Yeah, it came down basically between those two, and this was, I think, the easiest uh, film around Sherlock. And I know he's going to sneak down to New Zealand and make an appearance in The Hobbit as well, right? Yeah, this will be really good. And what I've read, they're kind of banking on this. Even though I would say Tinker Taylor's Soldier Spy will probably be, if you didn't already know Cumberbatch from Sherlock, you'll know him after that. But this is supposed to be the big, oh, he's a big, you know, he's he's now the new Brit, Big Brit star. So He's very good. Oh, he is. 
So, what's on TV for the week of June 8th to the 14th? On Wednesday, Waterloo Road continues on BBC One. BBC One has a new comedy, In With a Friends, about a modern family. Based loosely on the American series Grounded for Life, it stars Will Meller, Nikki Wardley, and Warren Clark. We did a feature on Warren Clark back in show 50. I love him. He's just great. Great character actor. Oh, yeah. Injustice continues on ITV1. Stuart Lee's comedy vehicle continues on BBC2. Excellent show. Thursday, The Shadow Line continues on BBC2. Al Murray's Compete for the Meat continues on Dave. Another excellent show. Oh, you've seen it? Yes. I love him. He's awesome. I really liked his sketch comedy show because I really haven't cared for his chat show too much because I just can't really take his pub character very well. But I thought his sketch comedy show was great. It really showed his versatility. An interesting thing, if you ever get a chance to find it, he did a uh, documentary-like trip to Germany where he went and visited Germany. It was like a two-part documentary it actually gave him a lot of depth, and I went back and watched a lot more of his stuff after that. Hmm. He's a really, and he's got a great Twitter feed. Ah, yeah, I remember seeing him way back in the days of Harry Hill's show on Channel 4. Oh, yeah, good old days. Hmm. Also, on Thursday, Injustice Continues on ITV1. Mock the Week is back for the 10th season with Dara O'Brien. Hosting comedies and living about the week's news. Thank God. I'm ready for it to be back. <laughs> and Ideal continues on BBC Three, one of my favorites. Dermot's Big Fat Comedy Gala on Channel 4 has Dermot O'Leary backstage in the run-up to the annual stand-up extravaganza. And you say you saw him at the yes. benefit, right? Yes, I did. I met him very briefly. For most people, that like they would have been squeeing girls over the whole thing. But I'm not the world's biggest X Factor fan, so I was like, cool. But he was very nice. They were all very nice. Well, cool. Friday, Have I Got News For You is on BBC One with guest host Joe Brand and panelist Reg- Reginald D. Hunter. One of the funniest guys you will ever see if you haven't seen much of his stuff. Yeah, he's an American who basically makes his career being funny in Britain. Kind of like Rich Hall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the two of them actually pop up on a lot of things together, I've noticed. It's I don't think like, either of them could get arrested in the United States, but they're, you see them all over the place in Britain. Yeah, Rich Hall kind of you know, does a little bit of you know making fun of perceptions of southerners but reginald d hunter just runs with it um <laughs> talks about his crack addict sister and the whole thing it's just kind of uh, i love him if you ever saw the bu- the bubble show when david mitchell did with the people stuck inside a house for a week he did one week of that and it was just hilarious well, injustice has its final part on itv1 Channel 4's Comedy Gala features an all-star lineup of stand-ups and on Channel 4. I wish I were there. Paul Merton's Birth of Hollywood concludes on BBC 2. The Graham Norton Show is on BBC 1 with guests Tom Hanks. Never heard of him. Nicole Scherzinger and podcast show 76 subject Simon Pegg. And unfortunately, all they will talk about is Cheryl Cole. 
interested from the sound of it. So Well, apparently both the BBC and ITV have now decided they want to get The Voice from NBC. And so there's a bidding war going on. So NBC's like, whoa, ha, ha, we're going to make some money from the Brits here. <laughs> the conventional wisdom is that Cheryl Cole will land on that show. It will be interesting because there have already there's been a lot of rumors, of course, in the sun and such on um, rumors who they're courting. The <laughs> yeah, that never happens. You know, they're talking Robbie Williams to take one of the things because, of course, Gary Barlow is doing X Factor. X Factor. So it's going to turn into like all the people <laughs> who want who want to kill the X Factor, pretty much. I would make the case that Cheryl Cole's strong point is not in judging, like, singing. So she was more the entertainment type. So that, you know, that would be interesting. I'm not sure that that would be the best move for her. That's all anybody's talked about in the last week is the whole X Factor thing. She got a million and a half bucks for three weeks work. I think she doesn't have to worry about that. Well, that's Simon Cowell yesterday. He was like, if somebody wanted to insult me with like one and a half million pounds, I would, you know, that would make me very happy. So (laughs) uh, he's got an interesting take on it, of course. Getting interesting, even though I kind of saw it coming because the whole thing about the X Factor, if you watch the British version and see the press on it, all it is is drama. They manufacture drama through the whole thing. Manufacture drama on a reality show. Oh, (laughs) I'm shocked. Shocked. Yeah. Well, they take it to like a degree, like ridiculous. It makes American Idol look like everybody's singing Kumbaya every night or something. If they do it well, Americans will watch it. And again, the only reason I'm even mildly interested in it is at least there'll be new stuff on in December. Yeah, exactly. Saturday Without Doctor Who regresses to a good night to rent a DVD. Or you could start over, watch it again. Yeah. Or if you're a fan of uh, So You Think You Can Dance, I think it has this big finale. Or or you could start watching Torchwood from the beginning again to get ready. It's oh. only about a month before that comes back. So There's a good idea. Listen to Dana, everybody. Yes. <laughs> Give you your own thing. Like, listen to Mitchell, listen to Dana. <laughs> I would like that. Yeah, that's. I like that. that yeah, you, have, you have your own blog. <laughs> Sunday, Richard Hammond's Engineering Connections concludes on BBC Two. James May's Toy Stories, The Great Train Race on BBC Two has a Top Gear presenter trying to construct a 10-mile long railway line. Model railway line. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, that would be a if it's actually building a 10-mile-long railway line, that would be a completely different show. So, yes. Scott and Bailey continues on ITV1. Case Histories with Jason Isaac begins another two-part mystery on BBC1. And Coast continues on BBC2. Monday, Case Histories finishes its two-part story on BBC1. Something that is sure to stir up debate, Terry Pratchett, Choosing to Die, will be on BBC Two with the celebrated fantasy writer who's got Alzheimer's going to a clinic in Switzerland. And it will be followed by a debate about the issues raised on Newsnight. Yeah, they're already, like, stinking up a storm in the Daily Mail about this. I know that's extremely shocking that they would... Controversy in the Daily Mail? And yeah. And the BBC? Yeah, I know. It never happens. 
but most people just will watch will be like, no, not Terry Pratchett. No. This is the second one he's done because he already did one about euthanasia a while back. Yeah, we'd just like to be in denial that he is eventually going to probably end up taking this route. And it's just very sad. It's hard to think of someone more beloved by all us Anglophiles. Tuesday, Primeval continues on Digital Channel Watch. Luther is back on BBC One with Idris Elba as the haunted detective who is abetted by a serial killer played by Ruth Wilson. We did a feature on Idris Elba back in show 54. Lots of people will be happy to see that back. Jack D's Web Balloon continues on BBC Two. Angry Boys continues on BBC Three. Let's see what's on in primetime on BBC America this week. Wednesday repeats of Law and Order UK. Thursday repeats of Top Gear and the movie Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. And cancel Christmas. <laughs> My wife loves that movie because of, of Alan Rickman, and I think it it is the most shameful performance ever. <laughs> he knew exactly what he was doing in that movie, and he, he should have known better. Oh, uh, well, you know, sometimes you take the movie for the money, and I guess. that was probably one of those. But, yeah, Friday, you know, this very classic British fest, of Star Trek The Next Generation and the movie Interview with a Vampire because a movie set in New Orleans is British. Anyway. Saturday. Hey, look, something actually new. It's the final episode of Doctor Who, A Good Man Goes to War. And it's followed by the channel debut of Battlestar Galactica. (laughs) Sunday, the 80s version of Clash of the Titans. Monday, more Top Gear repeats and the final episode of James May's Road Trip. Tuesday, Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares. And we'll have a lot more talk about BBC America in a few minutes. Probably kind of figured out what we're going to talk about. (laughs) The Sundance Channel has reruns of the fifth season of Shameless Late Nights on Fridays. DVD releases New Tricks, Season 4, Amanda Redman. James Bowen, Alan Armstrong, and the always reliable Dennis Waterman star in this popular police drama comedy about three retired detectives solving old cases for the Met. We did a feature on Dennis Waterman back on show 33. And he even sings the theme tune! (laughs) (laughs) Robin of Sherwood, set one, is now available on Blu-ray. This 1980s retelling of the famous legend starred Michael Prade, Mark Ryan, and Ray Winstone, before he was rich and famous. <laughs> and here's a little known fact. Anthony Horowitz, best known for creating Foil's War and the current ITV1 show Injustice, got his break as a complete unknown on Robert of Sherwood by series creator Richard Carpenter. Funny how those little things happen. He he wrote an article about The Guardian saying that uh, Richard Carpenter was his hero and said getting hired by Robin of Sherwood, which at the time was getting like 12 million viewers a week, would be like Mm -hmm. if you got – if you were totally unknown and you got given six episodes of Downton Abbey to write. Yeah. And you get those kind of breaks over there, England, that you you almost never – absolutely would never have a chance of doing that here in the U.S., well, the last time I could think of that happening probably was Chris Carter for the X-Files. I mean, he I think he'd worked on Roseanne and a couple other things, but, you know, I'd never really heard of him. 
and you know here he was given this you know hour long drama on on Fox network and he ran with that but yeah normally yeah. to get to that point where you get to be a showrunner and creating shows there you have to work your way through the system yeah I didn't realize um, that one of the writers for Torchwood, the new series, was a basically a script assistant for the original Torchwoods, and they just liked him so much they brought him with him, and he's doing one of the he's writing one of the shows. So hmm. um, it's his first time writing, and he gets a Torchwood. And both seasons of Rome are also out now on Blu-ray. Check out that James Purefoy. Mm. So our feature, do we need BBC America? A lot of people are big fans of BBC America, but Dana and I are not among them. If you take a careful look at the channel, you'll see there is a huge room for improvement. And it hurts to say it because I love, I actually have a few months ago, they, I don't know if you heard the song, um, I'm Proud of the BBC. Mm-hmm. That was big when they were doing the cuts over there. Yes. Um, I actually have the t-shirt and I wore it today because I love the BBC. I actually did, a friend of mine who works at the BBC gave me a tour of Television Center while I was over there. Well, there's a big difference between the BBC and BBC America. They're yeah. two different companies. You know, one actually is a television maker and the other is basically a cable channel. If you've got that name, you kind of need to actually kind of reflect the brand. Yes. And it is BBC Worldwide behind BBC America yes. in some form. So. Well, let's start with some positives here before we rake them over the coals completely. I would mm -hmm. say uh, Being Human, because they're, mm -hmm. they're co-producers of that, and they ran them fairly soon after they ran on BBC Three. So they're not even shown on terrestrial TV in Britain. You have to have digital, but they were shown here. Outcast is going to start, although I challenge anybody to sit through all eight episodes. I did because I like science fiction shows, but I think a lot of people are going to bow out after two or three episodes. Mm -hmm. Primeval, they're a co-producer of that, although, of course, that has nothing to do with the BBC that's made by ITV and Irish television. Yeah. Um, they've got The Hour coming up with uh, Romola Garai. That looks yeah. really good. Luther, they're co-producer on that, although... I don't know if anyone noticed that the when they showed the first season of that, they were getting fewer than a hundred thousand viewers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, not a lot of people were watching Luther, but I mean, I liked it. But yeah, well, it's kind of one of those growers. And and, and then they've got this upcoming Ministry of Laughs. Which yeah, is going to have Chris Hardwick introducing it, and they're going to bring back uh, the Mitchell Webb look, uh, more of the In Betweeners, Friday Night Dinner. I have to give them, I give them a lot of credit. Chris Hardwick was the perfect person to do this because if there is a American-born American, I say that just because Craig Ferguson would probably, you know, be the biggest Doctor Who fan in America at the moment, but right behind him is Chris Hardwick. He's done more for the, the two of them have done more for the show than anybody in American entertainment, really, at this point. He's kind of natural to do it, to host something like this. And thank God they're bringing back Mitchell and Webb. Yeah, comedy hasn't been seen much on BBC America recently. You know, when they first started out, they used to have quite a bit, although mostly older shows. And so, yeah, they're also going to be having Graham Norton on there. And another thing I like about BBC America, I think their on-demand service is great. 
I don't even get BBC America on our basic cable here, but their on-demand services available, so I can pretty much see all their shows. And in the case of Primeval and Doctor Who, they're uncut and they don't even have any ads in them. Hmm. See, but that that's and that brings up the big thing about BBC America is that you have to go up to a certain level of cable to get to them, and you don't necessarily have access to. I don't think I have. It would have access to the um, on-demand here. I don't think all the market, uh, all the cable providers have that. Well, it just depends how cool your cable point, company is. So. I mean, they're they're in the money business, and a lot of stations pay to get carried, or the other way around. The cable company has to pay like fourteen dollars a subscriber just to have an ESPN on there. Yeah. So I doubt BBC America is shit a lot of money. So that's why it's kind of shunted off to the extra tiers in the cable company. But that's not BBC America's fault. I mean, they're just a niche channel. No, to me, in a way, and we're getting into all the things that they have that aren't British, and do you necessarily, are you going to pay, you know, to get BBC America to watch reruns of the X-Files? Well, I just think they don't have enough original programming per week to even justify an entire channel. Yeah. I mean, we just read, listed off a bunch of things, and they basically have about four hours of new stuff on. You know, they have yeah. too, too many repeats. You can't build a network on just two popular shows, which pretty much are Doctor Who and Top Gear, because they only make a handful of episodes a year. Mm-hmm. Things that they repeat are, like, it seems like this, about five British shows, and now they're starting to fill in with all these random other movies. And it's like when they got, when Torchwood blew up and was such a huge success that they were like, oh, look how well science fiction is doing. Why don't we just start sneaking a lot more science fiction stuff and people won't notice that it's not British. They'll watch for that. Yeah, that to me is, is you know, business executive short-term thinking. That they've got guys in there who probably want to go work on real networks like, you know, AMC or HBO. And so they're going to try to show, oh, look how we bumped up the ratings from this little niche channel by, you know, expanding the audience. But by doing that, they're killing their own brand. Mm-hmm. You know, if it becomes the sci-fi channel light, because there's already another channel that does that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You're not BBC America anymore. You're just another cable channel showing reruns. I mean, the stuff they're showing nowadays... You know, back in the 70s and 80s, they would have been, you know, repeated on a UHF channel. You know, used to have yeah. always the, the, the Star Trek and Mission Impossible and Get Smart and Hogan's Heroes and all those kind of shows used to be on, you know, your local channel. Now mm-hmm. they're all on cable channels. But, you know, is that any reason to have a BBC America cable channel just to show old off-network reruns? Even if you had reruns, there's so many wonderful classic British shows why did they not have a bit of Frying Laurie over here? Because it's on PBS. Well, some PBS. Every once in a while, you'll see it on PBS. Yeah, we should uh, probably differentiate that. There's there's two phases of PBS. There's the network like you know, that makes Masterpiece Theater. And every PBS station gets that. So that's where mm-hmm. you'll get shows like Sherlock and Downton Abbey, Upstairs, Downstairs, Any Human Heart, South Riding, you know, Mystery. Mm-hmm. And then your local PBS station, and every local PBS station is its own little fiefdom, and they have to raise their own money, and they have their own program managers, and you may get this show, or you may not get this show. You know, some run Doctor Who, some don't. 
Uh, some yeah. get Red Dwarf. You know, locally here in Seattle, between our two channels, we get, you know, Are You Being Served, Good Neighbors, you know, from the 70s, My Hero, My Family, Spooks, Doc Martin, Reggie Perrin, Lark Rise to Candleford. Wow, you've got a really nice lineup there. <laughs> That's over two different channels, I'll point out. Yeah, because... Like here, this is a section of the you know, country where PBS support is probably not as strong as in, you know, Northeast or West Coast or whatever. But Pickens are pretty slim here. I, I, I have seen Doctor Who, and they'll show the full confidentials, too, which is cool. Oh. Other than that, me and my sister used to watch Keeping Up Appearances. Mm. A lot of these old shows and the newer ones, too, like Miranda, I think they would have such a good audience here because people who watch shows like Keeping Up Appearances and Are You Being Served really enjoy them. And it's not just because they're British or anything. They're just funny. You know, they're good classic and Miranda's a good point I just showed that to our local video club and they loved it my wife thought it was the funniest thing she'd ever seen oh Miranda I can't say enough good things now, you say you talked to Miranda Hart there I'm, yes and first off she is just as sweet as she seemed on TV she says she's not her character I wouldn't say she was her character um, because she didn't fall over anything that I saw dress didn't fall off yeah you know she uh, but, uh, but she was very just very sweet and very charming and I told her how many American fans she has and she said I do I'm like yes I told her about the blog I write for you and everything and how much people like, you know, talk about her and like her. And she was just, she didn't have any clue. Well, cause we're all pirates. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, I said, and I said that, you know, there's a lot of people who would love to see her show get picked up over here somewhere. And she says, I hope it will. My guess would be it would turn up on PBS probably. Yeah. At this point going into the third series, We'll be probably out next year. She takes about a year to write them. Mm. But I'm really seriously thinking about trying to do some sort of petition or thing to submit to. It it shouldn't be just to be a PBS thing. She would just be funny anywhere. I just don't want her show to be remade. I have like a nightmare that like one of the networks will try to buy it and do you, you, you know, can't capture what she's doing i mean she is the show it's perfect you know the setting and everything they don't need to do a coupling with it and make it put in a british in an american city to make us like it for some reason i think the a problem and this may be with bbc america it may be with a lot of networks is that they really underestimate how americans enjoy British shows being British, that they don't need them to be dumbed down or made different to be great. Well, Doctor Who's certainly proving that. I mean, it's not getting, by network standards, not huge numbers, but for BBC America, you know, they're getting 1.3 million people watching it. Shows there's uh, definitely an audience for that. I mean, not a big audience for it. I mean, you know, foreign programming will always be foreign to most Americans, but certainly I wouldn't be doing this podcast if I didn't think there were people out there watching British TV. 
Oh, yeah. And I think that, you know, once they get started, that's the good thing about what they're doing with Torchwood, whether, you know, you agree with it coming, you know, stars taking it or not. You know, they're keeping the Welsh characters. They kept the show Welsh. Everybody kept their accent. And from I've never heard a single person say that they couldn't understand what they were saying. To be fair, Eve Miles, though, wouldn't, couldn't get arrested in this country if she weren't part of that franchise. She's not the kind of actress they would put in an, in an American TV show. But because Russell T. Davis is doing it with Julie Gardner, he's like, well, here's our stars of our shows. Take them or leave them. And so there she is. Yeah, and she's going to be fantastic from oh, everything I've seen. That trailer made me laugh so hard. Oh, yeah. I wish. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I guarantee, except for the, you know, the occasional Joker or whatever, nobody's going to really notice what accent she has or anything. They're just going to watch the show yeah. and take it on its merits. So this whole thing about we need to dub over everything. And that's something that BBC America has kind of annoyed me with is their whole thing that they, I don't know if they still do it, but put in front of some of those shows saying, if you haven't noticed, our people have uh, speak a little bit differently. Turn on closed captioning if you want or whatever. They really like, say that? Yes. They have some guy and they try to make it all jokey. Well, to be fair, when Oxygen was running Nighty Night with Julie Davis, they they had subtitles on there because Ruth Jones was laying on a pretty thick accent there. And I just remember watching it going, why are there subtitles for an English language program? <laughs> <laughs> so they're not the only ones, I guess. Yeah. Well, my pet peeve at the moment, they just started showing uh, my big fat gypsy wedding on TLC, which mm -hmm. is my personal British reality show crack at the moment. I love that show. My, a lot of people out there are probably throwing things at the computer now, like because it, it, it's one of those shows you either love it or hate it. I hate the Essex shows, but I like uh, Gypsy Weddings. But anyway, they have redubbed it for TLC with someone speak, you know, an American. And the only excuse I can see for the whole them doing that is because travelers, so they're going around in caravans, they've, you know, reset it to make it clear that they're actually in trailers. And mm. I'm like, you know, Americans can't figure out that a caravan is a trailer. Okay. I, I couldn't speak of the demographics of TLC. Yeah, I... Somehow, I, I get the feeling they could, at least, you know, at least even put a little thing at the corner saying caravan equals trailer. There you it, go. But, you know, that's just me. You know, I, I like to complain. But at least it's on TV here. Well, getting back to BBC America, and I don't criticize the shows they've got, but where are all the shows they don't have? I mean, look at all these programs we just listed here that are running this week in Britain. I don't expect them to be on this week on BBC America. But you know none of those are ever going to show up there, except for Luther. Yeah, and then some of it, you know, maybe a little bit of prudishness or fear of the, you know, because they, you know, I actually had somebody on Twitter ask me today, how in the world Mitzfits ever got shown on basic cable in Britain because, they they managed to see an episode of it and saw two straight sex scenes in it or something. Because it was shown after the watershed. Yeah, so they have a completely different watershed 
sh- rules over there. There was a few shows, like one of my very favorite shows is uh, two pounds of lager and a packet of crisps. Yeah. Um, a very long running show over in England. They would have a hard time showing here because it's just very, very raunchy. They might could show it like on Comedy Central at midnight, but that's about <laughs> Well, so that's why I wonder about BBC America. Why do they keep buying post-watershed programs that have to be bleeped for basic cable? Like Peep Show and the Inbetweeners are emasculated by the censors. Mm-hmm. Because Even there's a lot of not- swearing in those programs. Yeah. If you notice, Peep Show is now showing at like 2 a.m. on Saturdays, though. So it's almost like they got afraid to show it at normal times either in between or definitely and now that they're showing the new series the first episode alone interested in seeing how they edit that well friday night dinner same thing it's some pretty you know launchy language in that yeah so it's like trying to run the sopranos on basic cable you can't do it <laughs> they can work it out or they cannot they need to figure out what direction to go with it and just start bringing things over. I mean, there's a lot of perfectly good shows like Miranda that would never have that issue. Well, some of the programming decisions just boggle me. Like, they delayed the second season of Ashes to Ashes, and I thought, okay, they're going to run it back-to-back with a third season, but they never showed it. So Americans have never seen how Ashes to Ashes turns out. If you're a Hulu Plus subscriber, you can get the full, all of the series of Peep Show, and you can also get all the series of the IT crowd. On Hulu now. They showed the same two series of Peep Show over and over and over. It's been on for, what, six or seven? Yeah, and they just showed series three and four, I believe. I don't know why, it, but it, and because they don't release these on DVD over there, if, you're, if you didn't have know any better, you wouldn't know that there was anything else going on or what you could watch, so... Well, we should point out there's not even truth in advertising because half of their British shows on BBC America aren't even from the BBC. You know, Peep Show, The Inbetweeners, and Friday Night Dinner are all from Channel 4. Prime Evil's My TV. It makes me wonder sometimes if maybe some of these, uh, like Channel 4 ITV, maybe some of the bigger uh, production houses like Hat Trick and some of them should get together and buy some investment in another cable network here that would be more interested in picking their things up. But they'd get the same idiot Americans running that one. Hey, I ran BBC (laughs) America. Hey, let's hire that guy. You know, they don't... I mean, it's always going to be a bit of a niche thing. I mean, there's a reason why I don't have 4,000 listeners to this podcast, because not a lot of people watch British TV. Yeah, but it doesn't take, I mean, huge numbers of, you know, especially when you're on a tier like BBC America or whatever... Paris Hilton had the premiere of her new show last weekend, got less than half a, uh, half a million viewers for the premiere episode. On which network? It was like Oxygen or something. That's like prime time. Like a lot of the programming that's on Dave could be shown here perfectly easily. You know, we'd have the same problem with QI that everybody has with QI. You can't afford it, but... Yeah, the, re- the thing about QI is that the licensing all the still images would cost a lot of money. Yeah, which is such a shame. But, you know, why not Fast and Loose? You know, people who liked Who's Line It Anyway would like Fast and Loose. Mock the Week, I think, would do just fine here. 
And, you know, people say, well, it's British news. We shown have I got news for you at our meetings for years. And, you know, usually you can figure out what, what they're talking about. But then you also just get people saying, well, if we didn't have BBC America, where would all these shows go? And I would say, well, I think PBS does a much better job running British television and without commercials and cuts. And everybody gets PBS. Yeah, it's just that, like you said, there's the difference between what PBS actually as a whole runs and what the affiliates run. Well, the next series of Sherlock is not going to be on BBC America. It's going to be on PBS. Oh, yes, because they do the Masterpiece series. and I think Sci-Fi Channel did just as good a job running Doctor Who as BBC America. They usually were within two weeks of the BBC. I remember season four was, the Catherine Tate season. And they ran the first two seasons of the Sarah Jane Adventures, which nobody else has shown. Yeah. And the Sci-Fi continues to show Merlin. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you got basically HBO and Stars taking over and doing the co-productions with BBC Worldwide. Well, mostly Sky Atlantic nowadays. Yeah. Well, you got, you know, Torchwood is probably a lot of what will end up happening with the future shows will be defined how well Torchwood does. If it actually does get enough viewers to be viable well, stars, you know, because it's a paid channel like HBO, it all comes down to, you know, does it increase their subscriber base? Because they're not really worried about ratings. Their ratings will be zero as long as they get more subscribers. Yeah. So it'll just be, you know, a bottom line thing for them saying, having this original program, did this improve our bottom line? I personally, I'm not a star subscriber right now, but I will be by July. Well, then, so. it, then it's worked. There's a lot of people with a lot of mixed feelings about what's happened with Torchwood, but I hope they'll give it a chance and because it not only affects, you know, what happens with that show, but, you know, the future of other things being made. So. Well, Stars will give it the BBC experience because there's no commercials on Stars. Yeah. You know, they just run programs and then, you know, trailers in between things, like the BBC. Yeah. Exactly. And it's so nice when you're actually over there. I, you, I have to say... One of the highlights of the week was being able to sit in front of the TV and watch the BBC as, you know, it's intended at the correct time of day and everything. <laughs> and uh, being able to turn the channel and watch Dave and CQI, like, on TV properly. It was, you know, when you've spent years, you know, watching by crook or whatever. Look by crook? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's really cool to do it the correct way. I'm just goofy enough of a fan to... To be fair, of course, the Brits over there are like, oh, you have also many great American programs and we have to do all these crazy things to get them. Because um, a lot of things are run day and day, but a lot of... Th they're just getting some shows over there now that are finished over here. Like the last season of Smallville is just starting in, on E4 this week. Oh, Yeah. Well, I mean, things like, I mean, even, you know, the basic stuff like Glee, they have like a, I think a six-week um, lag on it Right over there. You almost have to, though, because of the erratic schedule here, where you never get more than six episodes in a row without, an, you know, a repeat or preemption on Fox, because network television being what it is here. But it, it makes things tough in today's, you know, the whole spoiler culture the Daily Mail or whatever will go ahead and blast, you know, the details of this week's episode of The Office 
or whatever, you know. Well, that that goes back to the I days go. of Dallas because they would get Dallas delayed from being shown here. And, of course, the papers couldn't resist the chance to tell everybody what was going on with that before either BBC or ITV got around to actually showing them. I wasn't going to rag BBC America for, you know, delaying the last two Doctor Who episodes a week. Uh, I still think it was a mistake. It's awfully hard to make fans wait in this sort of culture where it really you have to actively avoid spoilers. Like I say, it had been Doctor Who back in the old days where it didn't make any difference. But nowadays, where so many things are being withheld from the audience that they don't want you to find out ahead of time, that you know those seven days make a big difference. It really does. And I do have to give them credit. You know, I'm, I do remember, like, I think three years back when a month wait for Torchwood, a couple of months for ta- Doctor Who, um, it was kind of forced upon them by the torrent culture. You know, the fans are going to watch the show. I think they finally figured it out. Well, it you works know. both ways. That's why the season finale of Lost was shown in America and in Britain on the same night. Hopefully, it, you know, they're getting that point more and there will be less things like the ashes to ashes deal like you were talking about. Resources, like I talked about with Hulu, they're now filling in. And if, you know, they don't show it immediately in the U.S., well, Hulu pick, goes ahead and picks it up. Yeah, a lot of people are getting rid of cable and just figuring, you know, I can watch it online or subscribe to Hulu or and uh, see shows that way. I need to get a job for Roku because I spend so much time pimping their product at this point. But <laughs> my my little Roku box that I get Hulu and Netflix through, and that and now it has Amazon Instant, which has Downton Abbey and a Sherlock and a bunch of the PBS stuff. It's a huge resource if you're a really big Brit TV fan. To have all this stuff, it's basically on on demand for you. Yeah, it may be that cable companies are going to be the the buggy whip manufacturers of the future. That you're not going to need it. It's like you know, we will buy a la carte the shows that we want to actually see. It just bothers me because, like you said, there's so many good things that they could be showing, and there's so many bad things that they could be showing <laughs> instead. Do you remember a year ago when they were showing reruns of Dancing with the Stars on BBC America when there's perfectly good Strictly Come Dancing, which is actually a much better show? <laughs> well, I don't get into the reality shows. I know that they have fans of those things. I, I don't watch any of them. but yeah. Well, to me, it seems like it's a way to make, and you're not necessarily, I know they're competing networks to an extent, but also it's a synergistic thing. Supposedly, it's actually in the agreement for America's Got Talent where they cannot sell Britain's Got Talent to another network. They can't sell it to show in America. Mm. But to me, like, it would only make sense that the two be showing here because you the the interest in one kind of makes you interested in the other. I know a lot of fans of both. So remember the good old days when BBC America deliberately showed the British version of coupling opposite NBC's remake of it. They would show that that <laughs> particular episode and proves how much better it was. Oh yeah. But if we hadn't had the coupling thing, we probably never would have had episodes. So. Which is yeah. another Showtime show. Well, anything to get Stephen Mangan on American TV, because I think he's just great. 
Oh my God, he should be another one. And why don't that's another show? Why haven't they shown Dirk Gently over here? Well, they only on made BBC the one. America? I mean, it's yeah. only. I mean, it only just got a terrestrial broadcast last month because it was on BBC Four. But they're going to make more of those. But I think I think when they have more, they might do it. But it's really hard to sell a one-off in this country. Well, they could have. And it's one of those things. And there's quite a few like the of the one-offs that they could sell. You know, enough of them to fill in, you know, on a weekly basis, a primetime slot, like all the Stephen Fry documentaries that he does. A few of them have shown on HDNet. It's tough to market that because Americans tend to think of everything. I mean, that's why you have Masterpiece Theater. I mean, people in America think there's an actual program called that in Britain. But, of course, it's an omnibus program, and it's got stuff from Channel 4 and BBC and ITV. And as a way of kind of telling Americans, you know, this is where the good British shows are. <laughs> but they buy from all over the place. And yeah. it's really hard to, you know, kind of sell off one-off documentaries and to people because, you know, you kind of want to know what you expect. I mean, I can yeah. see from a marketing point of view why that would be a, a bit of a tough sell. I can see, but I think also if you had, like, a, if you had something, and I, they've done it to an extent. Uh, they showed the John Barham and his documentary on what is being gay, right? basically. The Mickey of Me? Yeah, which was, and they, for some strange reason, they edited it weird. It's, mm -hmm. So a lot of the good moments that were on the BBC version were not on the American. But it, it, they did, it was on BBC America. Oh, was it? Okay. I actually did catch it. I think they could do more of that, and I think they could actually. They there is enough Stephen Fry content out there, and he's a bigger American. I mean, he's a Twitter Twitter legend now. He's you know he's been on Bones. He's he's well known enough where they could bring in some of his backlog and things, and it would bring in people. It would be a reason. You have to give people a reason to want to subscribe to you. And I don't know that they are doing that at this point. You wouldn't... Yeah, Battlestar Galactica, you can find online. Why would you subscribe? I have the DVDs. I saw them when they were yeah. on Sci-Fi five years ago. Yeah, I've got, like... I already have every episode of The X-Files. I don't want to subscribe to premium cable to watch it, so... You know, I can watch any time of day I want. Well, I asked around for other people to uh, send in their opinions, and uh, Scott in Connecticut sent me a long letter. Um, here's only part of it. He said, when I first got it, I loved it. They had some great programs and lots of variety. Thanks to BBC America, I was introduced to the Mighty Boosh, At Home with the Braithwaiths, Shameless, Doctor Who, Catherine Tate, Little Britain, and on and on. It eventually mm -hmm. turned into a channel that I went from loving to hating. When I canceled it, BBC America seemed to have forgotten its original mission, which I assumed was to bring quality British programs to America. The channel lost its identity and seemed to be only obsessed with ratings. Weekly schedules were made up of mostly Gordon Ramsay and Top Gear. That's all mm -hmm. I remember when I canceled it two years ago. Gordon Ramsay and Top Gear, over and over <laughs> and over. And I don't think much has changed. Scott talked a bit more about how they ruined skins. And he had some choice names of what to call the channel, including, it's a little like the BBC, but not really. We take the worst shows, British or American, and play them over and over again, America. <laughs> Got a good point. And then Dan said, 
Despite being a British expat, I don't watch the channel as much as I thought I would. This is probably be because many of the shows I enjoy are not shown and are not very likely to be shown on the station. I also, like a few others I'm sure, wonder why on earth they're playing shows like The X-Files, Star Trek The Next Generation, and Battlestar Galactica, and not playing shows like Have I Got News For You, QI. I'm sure it's part of them trying to hang on to the genre fans they're pulling in thanks to Doctor Who, but I'm sure they could come up with something better that fits in with the station's remit to show, quote, best of British TV. <laughs> and that's an, another little thing that I thought of today. You know, there's been a long time complaint by a lot of expats over here that nobody shows EastEnders or Coronation Street, but mostly EastEnders. Well, it used to be on PBS, and now it's on a satellite channel you can subscribe to. I uh, was, well, they had we did a, a whole show about that, and I talked to some, you know, diehard fans. Yeah, they had it on DirecTV. I think they've quit that now. I don't know how long ago your show was. ABC has just canceled all of their soaps. All these soap fans are, you know, really mad about losing soaps. You've got these well-made, very popular ones that are the biggest things on, you know, on British TV. You know, bring them over here and what's, you know. Well, I doubt the American soap fans are going to change their allegiances. I don't think they'll change their allegiances, but I think they would. I think that they would enjoy it. Um, I think they would get into watching. I, I really enjoy EastEnders. British soaps, of course, they're not glitzy and glamorous, really. Like, yeah, they were definitely more working class. We've we've talked about that here about EastEnders and Coronation Street. And on Facebook, I asked my friends what they thought, and Mike said. I used to ha have to watch Doctor Who at 3 a.m. on PBS on a black and white TV with a sketchy antenna clothes hanger. Now I get Doctor Who in HD and on demand. Well, he must have bought a new TV, too. Uh, <laughs> Prime Evil and MI5 also provide me some insight into a different point of view from your standard U.S.-produced pablum. Well, yeah. Although, to be fair, and MI5 failed on BBC America, and uh, it's only being shown on cut on PBS now. Uh, Valerie wrote, I love the idea of BBCA. It's the execution that's at fault. I wish they'd stop trying to Americanize the product. And commercials, annoying as they are, are the least of what I'm talking about. Though I will say it that as a librarian, ethical use of the media is a, a basis of the profession. It is a relief not to have to break copyright laws to see everything. <laughs> That's a good point, and, it, it, and that's what makes me happy about Doctor Who being basically on at the same time. I I feel completely, you know, like I'm doing the right thing mm -hmm. by watching on BBC America. And Anthony added, I think if the channel is going to call itself BBC, it should present the programs in the same manner they were intended, but for an American audience. So, uncut and no ads only between the shows and only programs made for the BBC should be allowed to be broadcast, period. And since it's called BBC America, it should be all types of genre shows from Annie Beeb, not just sci-fi horror. I hope he's ready to pay the license fee because that's the only way you could ever do that. Yeah, I think what you and I are waiting for here is, is this uh, iPad app or whatever they're going to come up with for um, iPlayer that would be for international audiences. Yeah, it kind of annoys me that it looks like it's going to be iP iPad only at this point. But what um, shows are they going to put on there? Is it just going to be 
recycled stuff from BBC America, or you know, will it be like the iPlayer day and date of actual shows? They, the last I heard them claim is that it's actually going to be, uh, even though they're still, I think they're having trouble with the production uh, houses over that exactly on some of the stuff, but it's supposed to be. They're, they claim that they're going to show live streaming and day of date and all that, but you know how copyright laws go. We'll have, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. It's not but, so much copyright, but it's it's who's paid for things. I mean, if, if Masterpiece has plugged in a lot of money into an expensive costume drama, you know, they're not going to want it on an iPlayer. They want to be able to show it first. Yeah, I don't see uh, they're going. There's going to be certain shows. I don't see them showing Doctor Who um, on there, taking their own money away in a sense. Well, the the TV world is changing. We'll have to see. Well, I love British TV to the point I do pay a license fee for it. Basically, I think a lot of us do. I think we're willing to pay the extra to be able to see. The shows we want, we believe in it enough. I think there's enough of us out there. Maybe BBC America recognize that in a sense with the way they're scheduling Doctor Who now. The iPad app hopefully will be a further move in that direction, but we'll have to see. Yes. We'll, put the, we'll give the last word to uh, Kotharios on Twitter said, Skippy, we need BBC America, nearly the only decent station in America. Well, that may say some more about American TV than, than being a good thing about BBC America. I've stopped watching network TV now that we're in the summer here. There's still some good stuff on cable. I mean, I, I watch Game of Thrones. I watch The Killing. I watch South Park. So, you know, there's... Uh, there's still a few good shows on America. Yeah, I'm a huge Glee fan. Mm. Um, Bones, you know, a few things around. But I'm the exception to the rule to an extent. I, I actively seek out another country's programming because I can't stand ours. So. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to tell me that. Uh, let's see, listener feedback. It's his inbox. Ryan's inbox. What a, what a, what is Ryan's inbox? <laughs> Dan asks, I wonder if you've seen any episodes of Horrible Histories. If you haven't, you really should when you have time. It's just about the funniest thing on TV at the moment. Uh, no, it I really haven't. Is. But I it won a, a comedy award, didn't it? Yes, it did. Um, it actually beat QI and uh, several other of those shows. It's a CBBC show, so it's actually aimed at kids. It's on like 5 o'clock in the afternoons, and it's kind of a, you know, a funny history program. I haven't seen it. I've heard it's really good. I will get my hands on some and, and watch them. So thanks for that, Dan. I do know that if you poke around on YouTube, you can see some very funny clips. That's how I've – the little bit I've seen, I've seen. So – uh, hate to take any, you know, encourage anyone to. Yeah, the children's programming them. over there rarely comes over here, and they make a lot of it. And I think they're actually planning to make uh, move it to the BBC at some point. It's become a big enough uh, hit over there. Yeah, get, get off CBBC, which is basically what BBC Three is during the day, and then yeah, move it on to the actual terrestrial television. 
Well, meanwhile, we'd like you to go to our website, which is www.britishtvpodcast.com. And there you can find links to headlines, show notes, what's on TV this week, and an archive of our previous 86 shows. And yeah. if you have any comments or about this uh, discussion or suggestions, you can send it to feedback at britishtvpodcast.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash TV podcast. And I'm on Twitter at Ari Dana, A R I E D A N A. And you write at Anglotopia.net, which is an awesome site. You write the Talking Telly uh, column. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, actually, it's kind of. Uh, I moved from Iowa. Last time I talked to y'all, I was in Iowa. And the week before I came. Went to England. I moved to Nashville, and then immediately after getting back, I took two jobs. So I haven't written there in like six weeks, and it's. But I am. Um, I will be back very shortly with lots of stuff, and we've got some really great stuff planned there. So definitely check out my column, Talking Telly. We'll have links in our show notes. All right, Dana. Well, thanks for coming on here. Well, thank you for having me. I have a great time every time. Well, good. Uh, hopefully I gave some people some food for thought about BBC America. So, uh, Chris will be back next week. I don't know what we're going to talk about. We'll figure it out then. So we'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>